We are back in the world of SAS with the official SASTA podcast and me, Harry Stebbings, at hstebbings1996 with two Bs on Instagram. I really would love to see you there. And there you can suggest both guests and questions for future episodes. But to our episode today, and focusing really on the lifeblood of any company, being sales. And I'm thrilled to welcome Hannah Wilson, VP of Sales at Rainforest QA, the on-demand QA solution that allows companies to discover problems that affect the customer experience before the code hits production. To date, Rainforest has raised over $40 million in funding from some of the very best in SaaS, including the legendary Byron Dieter at Bessemer, Jason Lemkin at Sasta, Mark Benioff himself, Andreessen Horowitz and Y Combinator, just to name a few. As for Hannah, she has over 10 years of experience leading sales and customer teams at both startups and publicly traded companies, including seeing the first-hand hypergrowth of Zenefits in their heyday and being VP of BD Sales and Customer Renewals for the western half of the US at Hello Wallet prior to their acquisition by Morningstar. And I do also want to say a huge thank you to prior guest on the show, Sam Blonde at Brex, for the intro to Hannah today. I really do so appreciate that, my friend. However, before we dive in today, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you've heard of Betterment. They're the smart way to manage your money. They use cutting-edge technology to build you a personalized portfolio and provide you with fiduciary financial advice for one low transparent fee. But did you know that they can also provide your company with your 401k plan? We all know that choosing a 401k for your company can be a time-consuming and confusing process. With Betterment, it doesn't have to be though. Betterment for Business is a turnkey 401k solution that offers ease of use, personalized financial advice, and very competitive pricing. And that's why the likes of Compass, Casper, and Harry's are just some of the companies that use Betterment's 401k to help further their employees' financial wellness. And you can find out more at betterment.com slash sasta. That's betterment.com slash sasta. And another incredible service is reviews.io, the first and only review platform to offer a truly unified Salesforce customer feedback management experience, enabling your business to save both time and money while monitoring and improving customer service and revenue. In addition to Salesforce integration, Reviews.io also announces competitor analysis. This powerful tool gives businesses updated review scores and history for their chosen competitors, allowing them to spot trends in customer sentiment and take really swift action. And collecting reviews for your business with Reviews.io, a Google licensed review partner, improves online visibility, click-through rates, and conversion by introducing star ratings across paid and organic Google search results and even better, Reviews.io integrates with over 30 online platforms. For your free product demo, sign up now at Reviews.io or search for Reviews.io in the Salesforce app exchange and listeners get a free 30-day trial by simply mentioning the podcast when they sign up. Finally, we all know as a founder or operator, your crucial job is people operations. That could be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent and building a high-performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, helping the likes of Asana, Reddit and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys. And Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement, so operators can really make sure their top performers are happy. And check this out, Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to SASTA listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash SASTA to receive the offer. That's lattice.com forward slash SASTA. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution, but I'm now very thrilled and excited to hand over to Hannah Wilson, VP of Sales at Rainforest QA. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. 
Hannah, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. As I just said before the show, I've heard so many good things from Fred, Russell, Sam. So thank you so much for joining me today, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've listened to your podcast for years and, you know, Sam has been a great mentor to me. So I'm excited we got connected. Well, that is very kind of you to say, but I'd love to kick off today with a little bit about you, Hannah. So tell me, how did you make your way into the world of SaaS and come to be VP of sales at Rainforest today? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a zigzag, if you will. So I actually started out doing consulting for sales executives at Fortune 500 companies. So that was right out of college. I was working for CEB, which is now Gartner. And that's really what got me interested in sales as a profession. From then, I actually rose up the ranks from a revenue perspective in an account manager role. And so became a director of account management, then moved over to a VP of sales role for Hello Wallet. That company was bought by Morningstar. I then got really intrigued by benefits. And so I went there as actually an individual contributor as an account executive, became a leader there, and then came to Rainforest. So I always tell like folks on my team that careers don't have to be linear. You can go to different places. You can do different kinds of things. And you know, I think all those experiences have, have been really beneficial here at Rainforest. No, I totally agree. And I love that kind of folio approach. But I do have to ask, you mentioned Zenefits there, and I'm too intrigued not to. With kind of seeing that hyperscaling firsthand, what were some of your biggest takeaways from that experience? And maybe how do you think it changed your operating mentality today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we could probably have a whole podcast on that. <laughs> it was, you know, an invaluable experience. I think, you know, I'd primarily been in enterprise sales before I went to Zenefits, and Zenefits was such high velocity. So there was so much I got to learn about driving monthly sales cycles and building urgency and building teams quickly. And, you know, that was certainly invaluable as I came to Rainforest, which is also a high growth environment. I think anytime you're in that situation, of course, there's challenges as well. And, you know, one of the challenges of growing so fast, adding so many new customers in different verticals and different size companies is that you oftentimes don't stop to think about the revenue that you're adding to the company. And so what I mean by that is sometimes it can be a challenge because you're not thinking, you know, strategically about the go-to-market strategy and is all of that revenue really healthy from a long-term perspective? You know, will those customers stay with the company? You know, will they be valuable long-term? And so that's something that I definitely think about here at Rainforest as we scale, you know, how do we do so quickly, but how do we make sure that we're bringing in the right set segments of customers that are going to be healthy for the business long term. Can I ask, does that, and I'm too intrigued, does that factor into your thinking? Like, is it healthy revenue when, you know, your role in, in a lot of cases is to grow the bottom line in terms of sales and, you know, in terms of maintaining those relationships and the customer success and retention side, that's the customer success team. Is there that siloed approach or is it more a holistic thinking of, is this healthy and sustainable revenue that we're bringing in? Yeah, I definitely think it's holistic. I mean, from the standpoint of it's the funnel, right? It starts at the top with the SDRs and the marketing team. It goes down to the sales team and then the customer success team. And I think if you're looking at, at it in silos, that might not be the most effective strategy for the company. And also, as I think about scaling, it's a lot easier to make mid-course corrections or make slight changes to your go-to-market strategy when you're at, say, 5 million ARR versus 50 or 100. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. But I do, Hannah, want to break the show up state into a couple of different elements. I want to first discuss the pipeline itself. I then want to move to the opportunities that sit within the pipeline and then how to convert them and finish on a special kind of superpower of yours. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, so if we start from the top, we have the sales pipeline where our opportunities sit. How do you think about maybe time allocation and prioritization of leads in the pipeline? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, traditional thinking would say,
say you should always ruthlessly prioritize and focus on those opportunities that have the most likelihood of closing. And obviously you should do that. And I think if you're in a super high growth environment like Zenefits and there's, you know, tons of leads, that's definitely really important. That said, I think the best AEs, the ones that are really able to differentiate themselves, um, the ones that are able to consistently overperform quota are the ones that not only work those best opportunities, but can make things happen with those opportunities where say there's a 10% chance of closing. Candidly, most of us aren't in an environment where we're just flooded with leads. And so I think it's those AEs that can focus on that bottom 10%, even though there might be a super small chance of them actually moving forward, they can find a way to, to make a difference with a couple of those, which can be the big differentiator in terms of overperformance. Can I ask, what are the benefits to really focusing on that 10% likelihood of closing leads compared to more traditional thinking? I think the biggest benefit is just quota attainment. And so what I've always tried to set the tone for our team here at Rainforest and previous teams I've led is getting to 90% isn't good enough. And what are those very special things we can do to get to 100%, 120% that month over month, quarter over quarter? No, absolutely. You mentioned that really interestingly, the element of kind of the best AEs, so to speak. So if that's the strategy and the benefits are kind of clear there in quota attainment. What can AEs and managers do in terms of maybe optimizing their win rate for these leads? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it really comes down to how managers deliver or interact with AEs during the deal reviews. And so what I mean by that is typically managers will sit down with their team once a week and go through all of their opportunities. I think that's a good chance for managers to be both positive and skeptical. And so, you know, I think my team gets tired of me saying this sometimes, but I'll look at an opportunity, which they are so in the weeds with, they don't think has any chance of closing. And I'll be like, I think we can do it. But, you know, I think, you know, the AEs are never going to be as optimistic as the managers are. And so it's our job as managers to help AEs give them the confidence to believe that we can close these really hard opportunities. But that's definitely not blind optimism or positivity. I think then you have to balance it with asking really hard questions about every single opportunity and really digging in and understanding every single risk. One of the questions I love to ask during deal reviews is if you get on the call and the customer comes to the call and they say, you know, I love your product, but we're just not going to move forward. What would their reason be? And have them verbalize how they would respond to that. So they're practicing in the moment. So it's this very careful balance between being really positive and optimistic and confident that things can move to the finish line, but also being really clear about what all the risks are and helping AEs navigate each of those risks. Can I ask, so that's the right kind of structure and communication pathway between manager and the AE to really optimize. Are there ways where you've maybe seen this go wrong in institutions, maybe that you've been in or around you in, in the ecosystem itself, where maybe they don't optimize for this kind of conversion process? Yeah, I think anytime you start falling to either side of the spectrum, so anytime there is just overconfidence about deals and thinking everything is going to be great and it's going to get across the finish line, or on the flip side of that, you go into a conversation and you, you, know, you don't believe something can close or you don't believe something something can happen. I'm a big believer in, in the power of positivity. And I think you start to set yourself on a negative course if you start to think that that opportunity can never close. Speaking of kind of opportunities that seem very unattainable, often in the early days, I speak to early stage startups and they say to me, Harry, you know, we're never going to close that named logoed client. How do you think about kind of quality versus quantity of logos and the importance of kind of either and where you think about prioritizing? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it goes back to what I said earlier on your go-to-market strategy. You know, I think I've been at organizations where we see a good logo and we're like, oh, we just want to bring them on at all costs. And we don't really think 
think about, okay, you know, does this fit with how we know we can best support customers? And so obviously that's not a great strategy for either the company or for the customer that you're selling to. And so I think sometimes it can be exciting when you have, you know, a really big logo that is very interested in, in what you're selling, but it's, it's really important to take a step back and think, can we effectively support this customer? Um, will they be successful on our platform given what we know? So in that sense, I think quality oftentimes is more important than quantity. No, I, I do agree with you there. You did also say about kind of wanting to get them on board no matter what. Often with reps, kind of one way of doing this is by using discounting as a tool to kind of get opportunities over the line. How do you think about discounting today, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, discounting obviously is a great tool in certain situations. And it's something I think most sales organizations will use. I think what you really need to start thinking about is, is the discount meaningful for the particular company that I'm working with? Or is it something else? Because maybe there's something else that's more meaningful to the particular prospect or the particular customer that you're working with. You know, maybe it's additional usage or maybe it's, you know, an additional product. And so oftentimes there's more creative things that you can do that will allow you to one, close the deal faster, two, deliver more value to the customer, um, but three, not sacrifice your ASP. Yeah, no, I love that kind of what drives the decision-making thinking there. But if those are the strategies, in terms of kind of the method, so to speak, of delivering them, we spoke about some of the strategies there in optimizing the win rates. Uh, a common suggestion is always that opportunities are closed on calls. I have to ask, with your many years experience, would you agree with this accepted wisdom that opportunities are closed on calls? I mean, actually, no. And, and this was something that I picked up a couple years ago from our VP of sales and benefits at the time, Jeff Hazard. And it's been really game changing for me. And I think for Rainforest, which is this concept of calls between the calls. And so if you think about it, these standard calls that we do are really formal. You know, you have an agenda, you've prepared, you have multiple people on your end. They have multiple people. Everyone has something that they want to achieve out of the call. And oftentimes in that very formal setting, you don't get at the real heart of the issue in terms of what the customer's true needs are, what their hesitations might be, what the risks are that they perceive. And so one of the things that, you know, we do are these calls between the calls and they're much more informal from the standpoint of you get on the phone with the customer. It's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You know, I typically encourage AEs to open it up with some sort of personal conversation and then really start asking questions and, and trying to get to the heart of the issue. And so maybe that's preparing for a call that's coming up. Maybe that's sharing something that you think is valuable for that particular customer. But it's amazing to see the things that we hear on those calls and risks that we didn't even know and objections that we didn't even realize will come out. And oftentimes that's where the magic happens. Can I ask kind of what's the difference in terms of the content that comes out on those calls, the tweener calls versus maybe more formal calls? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of personal, you know, oftentimes it can be personal risks about moving forward and, you know, hesitations that they have. And what I always encourage AEs to do is be more vulnerable. And if you are vulnerable about yourself and your life experiences and where you've come from and what you're doing, oftentimes you'll make a personal human connection with the other person that you're working with. And that can truly be invaluable. I totally agree there on the power of vulnerability. I do have to ask, going from the very human vulnerable element there to maybe a more process-driven element, is there a process for, for doing these tweener calls, be it cadence, be it kind of time between each? How do you think about the right kind of amount, so to speak? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, what I started to do with these calls in the beginning, which, which wasn't effective, was just like, get on my phone, call someone and strike up a conversation. I think you do need to prepare. I mean, there's obviously been tons of research done that shows that preparation is the key to any effective sales process. And it's the same with these calls. And so before you get on the call, you really want to think through, what are the questions I'm going to ask? What value am I going to deliver? 
deliver to this customer because it's not enough just to say, hey, I just wanted to call you and chat. You know, you have to think of a reason that's going to be valuable for them to take a conversation. Maybe it's something that you forgot to tell them on a previous call. Maybe it's something that, you know, you want to make sure you're prepared for and they're prepared for going into the next call with their manager. So it's really thinking about it like a serious call that you're preparing for, but then the tone you take is more friendly and, and less serious. Yeah, no, I do get you. You said there about kind of that tone leading to vulnerability and more personal elements. I'm very interested. How does one respond to this from your side, from the sales side? And what's that right communication flow of this maybe more personal information from the customer back into product? Yeah, it's a good question. And I've tried to find the silver bullet here at many organizations. I, I don't think there is one, but what we do at, <laughs> what we do at Rainforest, which I think is pretty effective, our AEs have a really good relationship with all of our product leaders. This is something the company of Rainforest fosters in terms of communication across teams and whatnot. It is that sort of informal communication where AEs talk to product managers on a regular basis. Obviously, they communicate via Slack channels, and a lot of information is shared directly that way back to product. You know, we certainly have a more formalized process too. We have our SE leader who's very technical, lead that and summarize and aggregate what he's hearing on calls and pass that along in a more structured way to product. But I think it's sort of that combination of on the ground, one-on-one conversations over lunch, over Slack, as well as a more formalized process. No, absolutely. And in terms of kind of the more formalized process and the flows between the organization there, we had Lars Nilsson on the show and he said the best sales engines are velocity engines. I'm really interested. How should it work then? Speaking of kind of flows between organizations, how do you think that kind of velocity sales engine should work and, and maybe be structured to you? Yeah, I mean, velocity is huge to me. And this is something I didn't really appreciate, I don't think, until I got to Zenefits. Just in terms of keeping the momentum up, you know, when I think of velocity, I think of a sales cycle. And the days of like, oh, I'm going to have one call this week and another call next week and another call two weeks later, I think are over. I think you need to be in constant communication with your prospects, especially if you're in a competitive situation, because you have to believe that, you know, the other AE from that competitive company is talking to them. And so, you know, I have a really simple way of doing this. I'm sure there's better ways, but basically, you know, when I was an AE, I would have a list of all of the customers in my pipeline, whether that be, you know, five or 50. And I would go through it every day and think, what have I done for the customer today? You know, maybe it's a quick call. Maybe it's inviting them to an event. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's sending them a t-shirt from your company, whatever it is. But I think that velocity is key in keeping up the momentum is really, really important. Can I ask, I've never actually asked this before, but I'm too interested. When you (laughs) notice a, a moment of maybe a competitor edging in on something that you want with a client, how does that change the communication, the tone, the cadence of communication? How does that change the situation when you realize that there's a competitive environment? Yeah, I think it just makes that velocity of communication that much more critical and that much more important. You know, I don't think the AEs should necessarily do anything different than they would before. Certainly, we don't want to speak negatively about our competitors. I think there's things our competitors do that are really good and can oftentimes be more beneficial for the customer. So, you know, we want to be very transparent about that. But I think it does put additional increased need for frequency of communications. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, speaking of frequency there, I mean, timelines are a super interesting one for me when looking at the velocity engine itself. How long do you think it should go from, say, lead to MQL to SAL to opportunity and deal? Is there a timeline in your head, so to speak? I mean, I think it's going to be different for every company. 
I think that some companies it'll be quicker than others. I don't really have like a one size fits all approach there. Speaking of that engine though, where do you often see it breaking down? Are there common faults or chinks in the armor, so to speak, of the effectiveness of the engine? Yeah. So I guess I would sort of think about this in two ways. I mean, one that might be a little bit counterintuitive is oftentimes it can fall down before the first call even happens. I know there's been a lot of research done to say, you know, buyer's minds are something like 60% of the way made up before they even take that first sales call. And so this really comes down to SDRs, to marketing. How are you qualifying leads? How are you messaging about your product? How are you educating customers as they go out and start to research additional options on their own? And so that that's one way I think about it is all that stuff that happens pre-sale is super critical to getting a high close rate. But then also, I mean, it's company specific and you really need to dig in with your sales or revenue ops leaders and figure out what parts of the funnel are you losing opportunities. And so, you know, it's going to be different for every company. Some companies might lose a lot of opportunities after the first call. Some might lose opportunities after the second call or once it gets to pricing. But that kind of data can be really powerful for thinking through what changes you need to make. And then here at Rainforest, we actually take it one level deeper. And so we look at on an individual AE basis, where are opportunities falling out of their funnel so that we can provide specific coaching and feedback to say, this is some area that you need to improve upon. No, I, I love that kind of post-mortem approach, but it does lead very nicely into my next question, which is really all around feedback because we've assessed kind of time allocation across pipe and strategies to optimize win rate. But having worked in multiple different organizations and teams, what do you believe then is the right mechanism for feedback delivery? Yeah, so I mean, I very much believe in continuous feedback. I think the annual performance review everyone knows is sort of a, a thing of the past where you're just giving someone feedback once a year. Um, we really do it continuously here at Rainforest. And one of the things that we actually started happening before I even joined Rainforest, but I was so excited to see is this concept of peer feedback. And so the team would get together every Friday, fairly light atmosphere and play someone's call from the week. And maybe it was a specific competitor that we were coming up against, or maybe it was a specific objection we started hearing. And people would get around a room and we would play the call and the replay of the call. And everyone would say, you know, you could have done this better. I wish I'd done this better. You have to be pretty vulnerable to do that. But I think that's where the magic happens because oftentimes your manager doesn't know how to sell better than some of the AEs on the ground. And oftentimes certainly your VP doesn't. So I think learning from your peers is, is really, really critical. I love the element of learning from your peers for that. But are there any inherent challenges or maybe guidelines that need to be set up front and addressed when imposing quite a candid and transparent strategy of feedback delivery? Yeah, I think it's just important that it's never punitive. You know, it's never you did this wrong on a call. Why did you do this? And it's just setting this atmosphere of we all want to get better every day. You know, I would play calls I did and I would literally cringe listening to them. But I think if you have to set the tone that everyone has strengths, everyone has areas that they can improve and we're in this together and we have a team goal that we're working towards every month, every quarter, every year. And we lift each other up and we help each other get better. And so it's creating this environment of positivity is really important when you're giving critical feedback. No, I, I love that environment of positivity and I couldn't agree more there. But I do want to move into my favorite element of any interview called the 60 second slaster. So I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. Are you strapped in and ready? I think so. Okay, so Lars Nilsson, we mentioned him before, said SDRs are the most important function of the process. Do you agree? I do. I mean, not only from a quantity standpoint, obviously they're bringing in most of the new leads for a company if you're in a, a primarily outbound environment, but also just setting the tone as 
I mentioned before, of setting really high quality, which can definitely impact your win rates long term. Sales rep productivity. What's good in your mind? Yeah, so I think that you know that there's obviously you know I think Sasser has has some data on this, and we have about a 1.4 million dollar quota for our AEs, which we feel like is in line with market from a productivity perspective. You know, if you want to look at it a little bit more simplistically, I sometimes look at how many new or first sales calls can a rep sustain every day while still being able to keep a high close rate. And so, you know, that's going to be different for every company. Maybe it's three new sales calls a day, maybe it's one, but it's a, a very simplistic way to look at rep productivity. And then also, of course, just looking at the conversion rate. And if you have those AEs that have lower conversion rates, what can you do to boost that? In terms of your reading material, tell me, what's the favorite SaaS reading material? Well, I mean, I'm playing to my audience a bit here, but I, you know, since I got into the world of SaaS maybe five years ago, I think I've consumed most everything that's come out of Saster, and it's been amazingly <laughs> helpful for me. But also, you know, I sort of go back to my roots as a consultant at CEV Gartner and the research coming out of there from a sales perspective is, is really second to none. They do a rigorous survey and analysis of thousands of sales organizations. And so really strong from a data perspective. And I'm, I'm always looking at what they come out with as well. And then final one, and probably one of my favorites, what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning? Now you can choose the beginning being the beginning of your time with Rainforest, the beginning of your time with Zenefits, or even entry into SaaS first. You mentioned this to me before the call, and I, it took me a while to think about what this could be. I mean, there's just so many learnings every day. I think the two biggest ones, and they go, they sort of span your entire career. One is just going back to what I said earlier about being vulnerable, whether you're an AE, whether you're a leader, and just always having that learning mindset, always putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, always trying to get better every day. I mean, it sounds so simple, but I think, you know, with sales in particular, when you have a monthly quota and you start doing something that's working, it's hard to get into that space. And so that would be my biggest advice, both for AEs as well as sales leaders. Hannah, it really has been such a pleasure. As I said, I heard so many great things from Russell, Fred, and from Sam. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. What an episode that was, and I want to say a huge thank you to Hannah for giving up her time today for the show. I do also want to say a huge thank you to Fred and Russell at Rainforest QA and Sam at Brex for the fantastic question suggestions today. That really did help me so much. But before we leave you today, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you've heard of Betterment. They're the smart way to manage your money. They use cutting-edge technology to build you a personalized portfolio and provide you with fiduciary financial advice for one low transparent fee. But did you know that they can also provide your company with your 401k plan? We all know that choosing a 401k for your company can be a time-consuming and confusing process. With Betterment, it doesn't have to be though. Betterment for Business is a turnkey 401k solution that offers ease of use, personalized financial advice, and very competitive pricing. And that's why the likes of Compass, Casper, and Harry's are just some of the companies that use Betterment's 401k to help further their employees' financial wellness. And you can find out more at betterment.com slash saster. That's betterment.com slash saster. And another incredible service is reviews.io. The first and only review platform to offer a truly unified Salesforce customer feedback management experience, enabling your business to save both time and money while monitoring and improving customer service and revenue. In addition to Salesforce integration, Reviews.io also announces competitor analysis. This powerful tool gives businesses updated review scores and history for their chosen competitors, allowing them to spot trends in customer sentiment and take really swift action. And collecting reviews for your business with Reviews.io, a Google licensed review partner, improves online visibility 
visibility, click-through rates, and conversion by introducing star ratings across paid and organic Google search results. And even better, Reviews.io integrates with over 30 online platforms. For your free product demo, sign up now at Reviews.io or search for Reviews.io in the Salesforce app exchange. And listeners get a free 30-day trial by simply mentioning the podcast when they sign up. Finally, we all know as a founder or operator, your crucial job is people operations. That could be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent, and building a high-performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, helping the likes of Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys. And Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement, so operators can really make sure their top performers are happy. And check this out, Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive the offer. That's lattice.com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. As always, I so appreciate all your support and I cannot wait to bring you a very special episode next week.